Welcome to Nurture and Nature Radio, your weekly nature playlist for kids and families. Join us each week where we'll show you how getting outdoors with your family can help your kids be happier, healthier and smarter. And you'll open the door to a whole lot of fun too. So come on, lace up your boots and let's go and play outside. Here's your host, Tanya Maloney. Hi everyone and welcome to Nurture in Nature Radio. This is episode number six and I'm your host Tanya Maloney. Thanks for coming along to play on this episode of the show where I speak to one of the most amazing people in this movement to connect people with nature. Her name is Claire Warden. She's a global educational consultant in nature pedagogy and it says on her bio that she's an experiential pioneer which I think sounds pretty cool. I really want to be one of those when I grow up. In this interview Claire and I talk about the what's why's and how's of nature pedagogy. We talk about unstructured play and nature kindergartens. You'll learn how nature is a powerful teacher and what parents and teachers can do outside the home or classroom to help their children learn about themselves, about others and about the natural world. We'll give you some great ideas for equipping your family and students for outdoor fun and you'll find that there is no bad weather, just poor planning and equipment. You'll also take away lots of practical ideas for some really fun nature play activities for kids of all ages from 0 to 99. Now, I actually did this interview a little while ago, but the field of nature pedagogy since then has just gone forward in leaps and bounds and Claire Warden and people all around the world are doing such great work in helping kids learn with nature. There's even now an International Association of Nature Pedagogy which you can find out about at www.nurture.com in nature no it's not www.naturepedagogy.com and Claire is one of the co-founders of that it's a fantastic organization so make sure you check out the International Association of Nature Pedagogy and now we'll get straight into the interview with Claire Warden. Hi everyone Tanya Maloney here and today I'm really excited to be speaking with Claire Warden. Claire is a pioneer in the field of education, uh, engaging people that she meets to become advocates for connecting children and families to the natural environment on many, many levels. And she lives in Scotland, but currently is traveling the world on a consulting tour. And she travels the world as a global consultant. She's managing director and founder of Mind Stretches in the UK and has a charity called Living Classrooms. Her methodology is supported by people across the globe. Uh, so welcome, Claire, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'd love you to tell us a little bit about how you became such a wonderful advocate and really incredible resource for connecting kids and indeed adults with uh, with nature inside and outside the classroom. Surely, um, I think, um, you know, what fascinates me about all humans is they have these incredible pathways to get to uh, where they end up being. And mine's no different to that. Um, so I actually started off uh, as a teacher and then um, was working with a group of children who were fairly disconnected to nature, actually. Um, and it was at that point I thought to myself, there needs to be another way to work with children. 
And the key part is to work with everybody who connects to those children. So that meant I became a family support worker. Um, I became somebody who worked in community, as well as having a foot in the education camp. And that meant I could see the issues surrounding those children from multiple lenses. And that's really what we've got to try and do for a lot of those children out there. Um, and so I suppose just over the years, you know, you have your own children and you can watch those really closely. And one of the first books I wrote was called Nurture Through Nature. And, and it came about really from watching my two-year-old um, and her group of friends be completely absorbed and fascinated by the natural world. And I think when you have that connection to your own child and you can also see the way that nature connects and responds to them. Um, it's a fascinating thing and it's very emotional, isn't it? So that's really, yeah, I draw on that. Um, but for me, because I, I sit in education and I sit in community, I then felt that really as a lecturer in primary education, I needed to make sure that there was research out there that people could really draw on when they wanted to justify the place of nature in the curriculum. So. Um, in my doctoral studies, I'm now looking at this concept of nature pedagogy, and although it's a very big mouthful, um, it's actually really about looking at um, the way that we work with nature. Um, what I have found from that work on nature pedagogy, and it's early stages yet really, is that, is that we can look at nature in multiple different ways. And one of those is that we teach about nature. So as you know, human beings, the adults go out and we teach children about you know, the bug or the worm or the ladybug or whatever it may be. But that's teaching about nature. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a connection. It just means you have to talk about nature. And then the other thing that happens is that people then say, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go and teach in nature. And so what they do is that they, they take what they're doing inside and they just carry it outside. And so... Um, it's about, for example, an example was a group of children who wanted to have a picnic. And so the adult carried the whole table outside um, with tablecloth, with chairs, carried the whole thing outside. And I said, you know, yes, but it's, it's nice that they carried it outside. That's lovely. But they also were a little bit obsessed by the, by the dirt. So they had antibacterial spray that, you know, children couldn't touch the food. And so, you know, when I was saying to actually, if you rather than taking things outside and just putting them in nature, Here's another idea. Why don't we start talking about, you know, playing with nature and with nature means you do what you do inside, but you go outside with it and you use it in a different way. So packing your little rucksack, you know, um, and taking that out with your picnic and sitting on a wee log outside is is with nature. It's working in nature in a way that's much more conducive to childhood, really. And, you know, an example of that, I guess, and, and an example of me with my own children trying to make an effort is, you know, I had a video, I've got a video series I'm putting together as part of this as well for myself. And the other day I thought, well, why not take it outside and get my kids out in the background? And, you know, it took much longer than I thought it was going to take, <laughs> as it normally does with children. But they had a great time. They yeah. were, you know, they were running around in the trees and climbing the dirt hills. And, you know, it was really fun for them and, and uh, really fun yep. for me. And, we got to come inside and have lots of cuddles to warm up, so that was nice as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. totally. Big bonus. <laughs> um, so <laughs> do you find that in the education department, it's often, or in education, it's often left up to the individual educator to get to get children outside? Sometimes it's maybe a little um, hard. Yeah, no, I think um, I think that the the different curricula I work with around the world, you know, the frameworks that they put together and. The one in Australia is, is, you know, the EYLF, really. 
Um, a, a lot of those curricula have actually now begun to see that there needs to be teaching with nature embedded into their curriculum. And so I think we're in a much better place now than we were 10 years ago, when really the idea of working in nature wasn't even um, documented in any form of curriculum. So I think there is permission now in education to say that you can have really high quality learning inside, but you can also have the same, if not better, learning outside. It still, however, comes down to that individual person to say, am I going to open the door and go outside? So you're still down to the motivation of the adult. Um, but I, I firmly believe that you've just got to find the right motivational button. And then once you've found that little button inside the adult, then they'll go outside. For, so for some parents, it might be packing a little picnic on a good day, or it might be mud, or it might be picking up sticks. But they'll all have something slightly different about the way that they feel comfortable connecting with nature and working with nature. And I saw something on your blog uh, just the other day about a, a, a day, an international day called International Mud Day. And uh, that's right. we'll certainly be participating. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah, I'm very pleased to hear it. Good, good, issue. good. Very good. Absolutely, we did. Uh, when we, uh, the idea actually came up from a lady in uh, over in Perth called Julie McAuliffe and a man called Bishnu over in Nepal. And um, they decided that they were trying to connect children around the world through this earth, through the earth, basically, which is the most wonderful thing. But come the International Mud Day, it's almost like it provides people around the world, irrespective of whether they're in education or parenting or wherever they are, to, to have um, a day where they try something really wacky, really mad. So, um, yeah, so so have a go at it. I can't wait to see the results. You know, the photo, uh, there's lots of Pinterest boards going up there at the moment about people saying, yeah, let's get those photos up there. and share millions of things that we can do to make mud possible you know Excellent. yeah Excellent. Well, we'll, be, we'll definitely be outside doing that so i do know a um a nature a kindergarten over here in in australia who is having a mud day but i wasn't sure whether it was tied right. into that I'm, I'm sure it is tied into that it probably is yeah it probably is yeah yeah it's great to think there are children getting muddy all the way around the world eh good Excellent. <laughs> um, so most of your own work is in relation to early childhood education, but how about for kids of all ages, you know, so for those of us who are, you know, zero to 99, <laughs> or 40 in my case, um, what sort of programs can be useful in education, say primary school education, or, or age appropriate, I guess, and then as, pe as kids get older, and then for us as well as adults? I mean, I think um, my work's actually right the way across that spectrum. Um, the um, I think I've started really looking, um, well, it started actually with seven and eight-year-olds and looking at their needs, as I said at the beginning of the interview. And then what you find is that the, the facets, and that's why I've really come up with the nature pedagogy phraseology, because what, what I've started to find is that people are being very defensive about the titling of what they do. So um, if you look at the span across the world, You've got people over on this side of a spectrum who really just spend the whole of their time outside. So if you go to the Banahaja in Norway, or you might go to the Skogsmuller in Sweden, or the Volkindergarten in Germany, they're outside all the time, and, and they don't need to have any indoor building. But if you look over this end of a spectrum, you're now in the world where people only go outside for maybe 15, 20 minutes. Um, you know, it's very structured. So what I've been trying to do to people is say, you know, don't put yourself in a box and say that, you're a bush kindergarten or a, um, a beach kindergarten or a something, you know, we're all about connecting to nature. And my concern is that when people start to have these little boxes, we subdivide nature up and that means that it, we lose our power. So 
So underneath all of those approaches um, comes this thing called nature pedagogy. So an example of that, um, we would run um, through the Living Classrooms project, we work with um, marginalised groups who are um, asylum seekers, they might be ex-prison offenders, um, they might be ex-drug abusers, you know, there are a whole facet of reasons why they're working with us. But one programme for them, for example, was um, in an old people's home where we were looking at their garden spaces and saying, well, actually, the garden spaces for these, the people here need to be full of things that bring them memory back. And so we've, we've planted far more traditional, high-smelling flowers, you know, things like the old wallflowers, the old rich English roses, to try and trigger memory. We've also done programmes whereby there have been child play areas, natural play areas, wrapped around the old people's environment so that they can see the young children playing in that space. And that's had very positive effects. And then, you know, in the middle, we're working with ex-prison offenders who, you know, we're saying to people, all right, well, where, as a male, would you like to reconnect to your young child and your wife? And, and most of them are saying, not in the room. I'd like to be out somewhere where it's different. And so we meet them in the forest with their, um, uh, their prison officers, if you like, for want of a better word. And then, you know, you come down the age groups, and now I'm working with um, projects which are working with secondary school um, children through the curriculum for excellence in Scotland, which is saying, you know, how do children learn, and do they learn in segmented um, exam-based curricula? And what we're trying to push for in Scotland is a more integrated, holistic way of learning. And that means that um, it's more like what you call the International Baccalaureate, so it's project-based. And because of that, they can do a lot of it outside. And then you come into primary elementary schools and the same thing applies. You've got an increasing number of children who from the age of about six, seven years old become very seat based, very indoor focused in terms of their learning. And what I'm trying to do is to support teachers through a variety of different courses at undergraduate and postgraduate level to see learning outside the classroom, to see that the learning outside there can be done very effectively. In fact, in some cases, more effectively than teaching inside. And then you come down into early years, and that's where the nature kindergarten model exists um, for me. And I'm delighted that I work so much in Australia because I think within the, the elements for us, the nature kindergarten has a very home-like feel inside. And then it has the outside space that's designed for children. And then it has the areas beyond, which is like a wilder space. But it's um, the reason it's different is that in the wilder space, you're really um, looking at nature on nature's terms as opposed to what I call canned nature. And canned nature is where you kind of wash it and you clean it up and you put it in a bowl and then you offer it to a child. So you've taken away all of that magic of this is my shell and I'm the first one to find it. That's the, that's the connection and the empowerment that's really important to hold on to. And, and then you go right the way down to looking at the family groups and the family nature clubs. And um, we run a project called Family Forest, which is all about you know babies, it's all about toddlers, it's all about families with children of different age groups working together in the forest with us. Well, so nature's a really powerful ally, ally in education, but for parents as well, there's so many benefits from that. Well, I think human beings, full stop really. I think you know what we, we talk about children reconnecting to nature, and yet I would argue children are nature. In fact, all human beings are nature. Um, we may not realise it, but how in tune we are to the world around us, you know, let's hope we wake up and realise it before things go seriously wrong. <laughs> so, yes, I would say that 
being outside and being in a natural space outside is, is the key to most people's emotional resilience and their um, well-being, to be honest. Yeah. And what do you find, can you tell me a little bit more about your nature kindergartens? What, what would a, a normal day look like? Or, you know, maybe the normal in the abnormal sense, probably. <laughs> what would a normal, a normal day look like for these kids when they're, when they're experiencing, you know, lots of life outside? Surely. Um, well, the nature kindergarten um, is a little bit different. So in Scotland, you can be two years old to five years old and go to a nature kindergarten. So it's not just that one year that it is in Australia. Um, they they come in 8.30. Um, there's usually a gathering time. So in the colder weather, they'll go into the wee house. The fire will be on. Um, they'll come into the little lounge area and there's a little book area. So it's, it's all very much like a house um, because we felt that for a lot of children, that's a natural place to be, is in a house. So that's what it looks like. It has a big sofa. Um, it has big cushions on the floor. It has a little kitchen. And then they can go into the other area, which was like the dining room area. So there's no big table. It's a smaller table. And that's where you'll find the role play area where it's got all the pots and pans. But it's all real materials. There's no plastic in that. And then you go through to the construction room, which is full of um, wooden materials, little tiny um, stone blocks, things like that. So they can play in that environment. And then when they're ready, and it really you can just feel it that they've had enough of being in there. And usually it's only about half an hour. Then we go out through to the changing rooms and um, we put on our waterproof oversuits. And waterproof oversuits fascinate me because people think that they are about keeping the rain out. The actual fact they're not. I mean, they'll do that partly, but they're actually to stop the mud and the water coming up and into and covering the child's clothing as much as they are about the rain coming down. So um, we put that kit on. And then if you go out the back of Ochlone, we've just had... Um, really proud of the fact that we've just managed to get the first building licensed for childcare that has an open front. So that's a major shift in licensing for us. Um, so, it, and we asked the children, what did they want? And they said, oh, we'd like to have a kitchen because most children like to be in the kitchen. It's the heart and soul of the house. Yes. So um, that's what we did. We made a big kitchen and it has, um, so where the adults work, it has a platform. So the children come up to the eye height of the adult. So you've got platforms of different heights. So you can cover a two-year-old next to a three-year-old and so on. Um, has a big family table, has a wood-burning stove, um, has a what you call a loft, which is where the children go to snuggle in and read stories covered in sheepskins. Um, and then, you know, so, so from about 10 o'clock, they're out then in that space. And that's the garden space. And it's got a mud pit and it's got a climbing trees and it's got a fire pit. It's got a willow tunnel. It's got a, like a transient art or ephemeral art area. Um, and that in itself is beautiful. Um, and then by about 10.30, 11 o'clock maybe, um, they'll pack their own rucksacks and they all have their own rucksack and then they walk out to the wilder forest. Um, and then they choose. They can say, you know, do we want to go to the dark forest, which is like an evergreen because it is dark, um, or do we want to go to the, the firehouse and off they trek. Um, and when you get to the firehouse, it's a big round house and they, they've got a place to hang their rucksacks and that's it. And they play there until we've had enough. Um, basically, that's it. So, so the adult in that environment has to be very flexible. Um, and within that, what we're trying to do is, is if you think about the word natural and nature, then what's a natural way to be with children is to listen more and speak less, is to, you know, support. So if a child falls over in the forest then um, actually what we're going to do is pick them up and give them a cuddle because we see that as being a human behaviour, a natural behaviour. 
Um, they, um, they're very confident. And so their climbing frame is a massive tree. Um, their toilet um, they talk about is the peach tree. And that's on the, uh, the um, extremity of the site. And so the peach tree. So the boys themselves are very excited about the peach tree. Yes. The girls have a little shelter, a little bender den that we've made, which is their luggable loo. They go in there. So, you know, that's it. And, it, and it's, um, we don't have any more than 30 children because... Again, we've taken this word natural and said, what is natural? And we feel as a group that um, small family communities are what children need, um, not massive centres that have 500 and 600 children in them. Um, yeah. And we don't subdivide ages, um, which is my thing at the moment. When I talk about people in licensing and I say, you know, why have you got a baby over here who can't now talk to his brother who's three over here? Why can't those children work together in a family unit, which is what they're meant to do? Um, so, yeah, it's, it wouldn't be natural for me to divide adults and say, right, you're 40, so you can't talk to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, and, and in the centre where my children go, you know, they're often swapping rooms and, you know, my daughter and go that's with great. son, and, yeah, which, is, which is lovely. So I'm, I'm lucky that Yes, they... which is what you want. Absolutely. It's a natural way for them to be. Absolutely. So um, being at a nature kindergarten sounds like something I'd love to do as an adult. It sounds like <laughs> lots, lots of fun to me. So um, I'm sure kids yeah. just thrive in that environment as well. And they go home to their parents and they sleep well and eat all their dinner as well. So a yeah. bonus. Yeah, totally right. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> a bonus. Um, so, you know, I know myself I'm really committed to getting my kids outside. But as you said before, you know, you get, get the kids uh, – to get the kids out often – you know, you put their mud suits on or we call them, you know, our puddle pants over here and, yep, you know, yep. their boots and their jackets and their hats or if it's hot, you know, sunscreen and hats and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then when they come in, sometimes you've got to give them a shower or change of clothes and, and as a parent, often you think, oh, it's just so much easier to stay inside. So my question here yep. for you is, is it really just a matter of keeping our eyes on the bigger picture and all the benefits that that can give for, for our children? Yes, uh, and you know the the practicality of it is it once you've gone through all that effort, you need to go out for a long block of time because to be honest, if you're going out for ten minutes, that's I wouldn't do it either. It's just not worth it. Um, so once you're out, you're staying out, and so it's about making yourself and the child feel really comfortable when they're outside. That's the key to it. Otherwise, both of you will want to come in. The second thing that you've raised there is about the bigger picture, and I think um, often I'm asked to talk about risk. I mean, so the lecture I'm giving tomorrow is on risk. Um, but, but the thing that people forget to do is they look at physical risk and they say, oh, well, there's a risk if I go outside, they're going to get too cold or they're going to get wet. And that's a very physical, tangible kind of risk. What I talk about is, is the other aspects of risk. So we never talk, for example, about the intellectual risk of understimulation for young children. You know, that boredom is a good thing. But if you're in a program that's educational and they're not stimulating your child enough, then there's an intellectual risk there of, of really um, lack of stimulation. And we also don't talk about emotional risk, about what is this child going to be like when they become an adult? What are the things that we're building up here, this emotional resilience, this self-belief, the self-confidence perseverance that the outside is so good at developing, um, what about that risk? What about the, the fact that if we don't do any of this stuff outside, if we don't allow risk-taking, then there's a real risk that their emotional development won't take place. So you're absolutely right. We need to look at the bigger picture um, in all those different facets, all those different facets, yeah. And if, the, if 
you find if they're not taking risks or not, you know, pushing the boundaries and learning where the boundaries are when they're younger, then, you know, by the time they're 16 or 17, they get behind the wheel of a car, then maybe then, then they're trying to take those risks and that's when we don't want them to be. Yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's a statement that's, that's said a lot about, you know, is it responsible for teenage risk taking? And I think, um, I think there is probably some truth in that, in that there are certain children um, who have a higher testosterone level and those children seek adrenaline. And if you seek adrenaline, then you'll find it in any way you can. And um, I actually see examples of it in early childhood environments very much so. Um, even from the very early stages. So we have situations where people complain specifically about boys and say that, you know, boys are a bit boisterous or they're not joining or they can't settle. And actually the physiological research is saying that they have this testosterone boost at about four years old, which is major. So physiologically, they can't sit still. They need to move. They need to hang off the back of the bike or stand on one leg or run fast or swing on a rope because their bodies are driving them to do that because it's almost... A, a genetic predisposition to do that um, and, and we've kind of forgotten that primeval difference between our body types. It's, I was talking to, to uh, Marty Erickson in the US yesterday and she said her little grandson he termed it as he was running around inside and he termed it as you know grandma I just haven't had a chance to get the wild out. <laughs> <laughs> Today, yes absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, which is lovely. You know, I'm sure you know the saying, it's said a lot these days, that there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad planning and bad equipment. Um, can you tell yes. us what are some of the things that might be useful in equipping our kids to get out and, and explore nature? Um, I know you've got um, this fabulous idea called the Discovery Waistcoat, which, you know, I'm, I'm really, it's, uh, my little boy's birthday very soon and I'd really love to get one of those for him because I think it'd be handy. But um, yeah, if you could tell me maybe some things that are out there that we could use. Surely. I mean, I think, um, I think the key part is, um, you know, the, the, the bit to equip yourself with is that basic outdoor clothing to make sure that you're dressed for the elements. And then beyond that, what you then need to do is look at the play behaviours. So um, collecting and gathering is a really massive part of children's lives. So little rucksacks, little buckets, little bags, it doesn't matter what those things are, but you need lots of those little things to be able to collect your sticks and your stones and your leaves in. Um, the reason I did the discovery waistcoat was that I noticed how much children enjoy that preparation and the packing and the, the putting things in little pockets. So hiding and finding is another schema. It's like a, a repeatable motivation that these children adore. You know, like this is the name of this bug and this is the name of that. But for me, really, I think you need to love something before you can protect it. Yes. So for me, it's, it's not so much about the ID cards. For me, it's more about the fascination and joy of looking at um, different elements. So um, if you, when you're going out into that environment as the adult, you start thinking to yourself, all right, well, if the elements of nature are the air and the water and the earth um, then, then, and fire, obviously, that then what can I do with these young children or with any child, with any adult, that fits within these different elements of nature. And, and then I think that's, that's got to be your guiding light. So making even a pretend pair of spectacles like this and looking up at the clouds or making a little cloud window. Those are the easy kind of ways that you can get them to look more closely at things. Um, but on the whole, it's more about them engaging just within those those loose materials and that natural materials that are out there. Uh, one, um, one program we did, um, many years ago which was designed to support parents who maybe 
couldn't quite see the point of playing with sticks and stones and mud um, was that we um, we made little tiny rucksacks and they were they were designed to clip onto your um, belt so they weren't a lot to carry um, because what we realised that some of these parents were helicopter parenting and they really only spent very very little time with their child outside and so we were trying to say rather than saying you're going to go outside for hours and hours what you know just it takes a moment, but it lasts a lifetime. And, and that was our maxim. That was our kind of thing. Takes a moment, lasts a lifetime. And so in these little pouches, we would just put little surprises. Like it would be a little card and it would just say something like, um, um, I don't know, um, balance the stones or something. And then in the bag would literally be five beautiful pebbles, nice smooth river stones, just tiny ones that, that you could sit down in a park or you could you know, even take on a bus. It didn't matter where you had it, but you had that little pocket of nature that you could just take it wherever you were and just give your child a moment. Um, so, so you go from that kind of very small scale experience outside to the big stuff, which is, you know, the camping and the um, building of the dens and the making of the mud soup, which are all totally delightful. They're just different. Yeah. So um, yeah. I read something else actually the other day that you wrote about, um, about children learning on a farm about where, they, where their food comes from and, you know, where their... their yep. um, and can you discuss that? One of the um, the things that we've got, we've got the connect most obviously that we've now with food got the assumption we can get whatever we want whenever we want it. Um, but it means that children very often don't see the, the basic element of the food that they're eating. So whether that be the cow that gives them the milk or the grain that gives them the bread, you know, or the tree where the apple came from, you know, if they don't see that root and they don't see the process, um, then they get very belligerent about food, very um, blasé about it. So one of the things that we work quite hard on in our um, work that we do with children and families is um, is to help that connection happen again. And um, there are several things that we've done. One was that we created a small cornfield, but it was only about, I don't know, two meters squared. So very small, but we, we had things. And then when that was actually big enough, we ground it down and put it into some existing flour so they could actually make the connection between where it come from. So, I mean, you can do that in a window box. That's not something you need to have a big space, but it's just the conversations about this is what wheat looks like or this is what barley looks like. So that was one thing that we did. And then within the kinder kitchen, the way that that works is that we, um, we make bread every day with these children from two to five years old. And they have a, a corn grinder, which is a machine that we can grind the corn with. So they have to always put some element of additional flour into the flour that's bought. Um, by grinding and then um, we often will make soup but we'll use the vegetables that we've just grown outside the kinder kitchen then into our food programs well when you extrapolate that we then had a debate because we have a little van in the nowhere a little van comes little shop and he's a lovely guy and he turns up and the children you know two years old they all have their own little purse of money with their pennies and they go to this little mobile shop and he buys you know he lets them buy one apple or one banana and so we don't tend to have strawberries at Christmas here because it doesn't work for us. And that's been really the parents have come into that program and said, actually, you know, my son or daughter starting to notice that they can't have something whenever they want it, that it tastes better when it's meant to be produced rather than some of these bouncing strawberries that we get, which are just horrible. Um, and then the third thing that we did that was through the charity, actually, through Living Classrooms, was that we were doing a landscape development and we started talking to the locals in that environment who came from lots of different cultural groups about what they would like in this landscape space and um, what we came down to that most of the women had a connection over cooking and so rather than having just one um, like a barbecue space we put in a tandoor oven 
and they had a pizza oven and, and so you had all these different types of cooking outside that the community could then come together and use and then that made this great connection for people you know just the community not necessarily just for the young children but for families generally so yeah food's a massive connector as you said that that sense of community and that's something quite often today we're we're missing a little bit you know we don't know our neighbors and we don't interact with yeah. the people in our yep. community and and I think at the detriment of our kids. I mean, I know it's not necessarily part of the uh, the bigger element about nature, but I think for me it's a natural thing that children sit together to eat um, with families. I'm a big believer in that, and whether or not those conversations are hard to have or not, but when you sit to eat, there's something about that community of sharing food that brings people together, um, which I find really interesting. And I was talking to Richard the other day, Richard Louvre, and um, we were chatting and he said something that made me laugh because I was talking about people sitting in front of television, just watching television all the time, eating in front of the television. And the statement he made, you know, is that sitting has become the new smoking yes. and that the research around the, the illnesses you gather from being sedentary by sitting for too long um, are really well documented, as well documented as smoking in based diseases. So, you know, as a culture and as human beings, we've got to look at what's natural for us. And sitting still for, for extended periods of time isn't natural for our bodies. They just don't work like that. Right. It's more about, well, you know, we were the hunter-gatherers, so... Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. People do think that that's what the niche kindergarten is, you know, that I'm some, like, I don't know, survivor woman and I'm going to go off and kill rabbits in the outback. And I'm like, no, it's not that. It's a much more gentle way of being. But it's the nature pedagogy bit is just this, it's a sense of being with children um, and not being too dominant in their lives, but but a sense of being um, in a very supportive way. So yeah, runs across them all. It's, it's, it's a lovely uh, thought and it's a lovely practice. So hopefully more schools and uh, educators out there really come on board with that because it's something really powerful. And as I said before, you know, my kids sleep so much better when they've been out. So. Yes, absolutely. Self-preservation, actually. It is self-preservation, stress management on my behalf. Like, <laughs> totally, definitely, totally. So what's the question that you get asked most by teachers or by parents about getting kids outside and how you know, they can do that? I think um, the question actually you know, varies where I am in the world. Um, in some places, you know, for example, in, in Norway now, there's um, a big debate about, you know, because they've always been traditionally people who spend a lot of time outside. So those parents are asking me questions about, well, you know, is it all right that we're outside for so long? Is it, are they really learning? You know, can you show us a way to document and assess to make sure that our children are learning? So that's my work there is to help them with the floor books and help them see that child consultative ways of recording, whether it be in a memory book or a journey, a learning journal or a floor book, that, you know, that's their answer. And then, but then with other people and, and predominantly, you know, on this trip in America, um, over in California there, it was about risk and it was con real concerns about litigation. And then, you know, when I'm working over here in Canada, here I am in Nova Scotia and I'm surrounded by the most beautiful environments here. I mean, just awe-inspiring. But there's a disconnect between what's happening in the provision and parents going out into these environments because they've been so influenced now by some of the media messages about stranger danger and, you know, the concerns of risk, which we've already talked about. So, so where people are culturally and where they are on their continuum of development in terms of connecting to nature affects what their questions are in answer to your question. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Okay. 
So what are what are us Australians asking you? You know, I know you've been here recently. <laughs> what what did we ask you? Well, it's interesting because I've been in Australia now working with you guys for about eight years, and um, when I first came over, it was like you know, it was like oh my word, no way, no way at all. Um, to and it was a big factor was the risk, I would say. Um, and then as people started to see that actually, you know, you choose to live in the environment and climate that you're in. So to not teach a child about the risk that they're going to face as an adult, whether it be a snake or a spider, is actually leaving them very vulnerable and very exposed because you can't protect your children all the time. You have to allow them to learn and knowledge is the best thing um, to help children understand risk. And then as the years have gone on now, when the EYLF came in, the Early Years Learning Framework came in, and the Australian curriculum, now the conversations have been far more about, right, okay, well, we can embrace the concept of a nature kindergarten. We could maybe do a nature preschool. Um, we can look at um, learning outside the classroom in terms of making um, outdoor classrooms or living classrooms. So I would say people are beginning to, in Australia, really embrace actually the outdoor learning, and that's helped by your two curricular documents because then it becomes something they have to do. Yes. I think, um, and you know, I'm back again, I'm always over there. I'm actually doing some work with Ballarat University, um, which I'm delighted about. So now what's happening is that the universities are coming on board and doing far more strategic research um, and looking at what the real benefits are in Australia for Australians, which is really good, I think. So that's going to be really exciting to see. Um, it always fascinates me about Australia that you guys, you know, you'll go on, you go on water where there are sharks that might eat you, yes. uh, and adults yes. do that. You know, you do all that. You have a beach culture, and yet, you know, I can be inside. Why won't you let the baby go outside? And they're like, yeah. well, it's all right when you're yeah. sort of 15, but it's not all right when you're two. And I'm going, well, it's all about journey, isn't it? And if you don't start that journey at birth, then you know you're going to end up falling over somewhere along the way. So, the biggest element for me is is the stuff that I really opened with, which is is asking people really to see themselves on a learning journey. And, and that connection to nature happens in so many different ways and it has so many different names and that's right that it does but I think underneath it we have to try to find us and have a cultural conversation about what is it um, that really sets being outside in nature different and that's the nature pedagogy the way that any human being reacts to another human being gives them such sense of affirmation such sense of support that really it's that we should be looking at are these interaction skills and the way we are as human beings one to other that really can lie at the basis of any kind of model no matter where you are in the world. Where I am in the world now I think it's just started to pour rain. So I hope Did I hear that? that? That's mad noise. I didn't quite know what it was I thought it was my little boy in the background but um, no it's rain so <laughs> it's good it's very dry over here at the moment even though it's coming into winter so it's good for the cows. <laughs> Yeah, you want that rain. That's good sounding rain. Yeah, it's well, it's lovely, and, and the puddles that it creates for us later on today will be yes. just fantastic. Yes, it will. You'll be having a wonderful time out there doing your puddle jumping. We, we will. Do. <laughs> yes, um, and I think we have a, you know, children's TV as well. You know, kids. Let, uh, there's a time and a place for that. But Peppa Pig, who is from over in the UK, yes, um, quite yeah, often no, Pe- jumps in muddy puddles. He does. He does indeed. Yeah, so yeah. one of my children's heroes, so um, we love that. Yeah, the, um, I was laughing because my daughter's um, eight years old, well, her, she's nine next week, and she went to the cinema to see a film called Epic. I don't know if you've seen it out, and it's the one of the guardians of the forest. They're all little fairies that live within the forest, 
And so, um, yeah, when I leave here, I have to go back to create an epic party for her birthday. So I'm, I'm really excited. I'm going to make fairies and little cakes. And, yeah, it's all going to be good. My outside party for her. Excellent. Uh, we had a fairy party last year. I'll send you a picture of my cake. It was very, uh, oh, yeah. very, very good, okay. if I do say so myself. So. <laughs> well, and anyone who can make a cake with two young children, you're doing well. Doing well. I've set the standard too high now for myself. I, have to, uh, I should have made really bad cakes right at the start. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so, um, so how do people find more about out of, more about you, Claire, and what you do? More about me? Well, there um the the my own website, which has more research on it, and the blogs and the information, my diary about where I'm speaking, things like that, is www.claire-warden.com. And then um, there's the Mind Stretchers website, which is uh, www.mindstretchers.co.uk. And then the Living Classrooms site is www.livingclassrooms.org.uk. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm That's right. Fantastic conversation with you and well worth getting up at 5 a.m. in the morning for. <laughs> um, so I wish you all the best in what you're doing and uh, I look forward to seeing you here in Australia. That'd be great. Yes, absolutely. Keep in touch. Love to talk to you. Take care now. Bye bye. bye. Well, everyone, thanks so much for listening. That wraps up my talk with Claire and the show for today. And I really hope you enjoyed my chat with Claire Warden. She's really become one of my favourite people in this whole wide world and in this movement to connect children and people with nature. It's just so incredible the work she's doing and um, I do encourage you if you ever get the chance to see Claire or hear her or participate in some of her trainings either offline or online, please do. She is fantastic. Next week on the show, I talked to a fantastic lady by the name of Janice Swaysgood. A few weeks ago in episode three, we talked to her husband, Dr. Ron Swaysgood, about connecting with nature through the eyes of a conservation biologist. And Janice shares Ron's love of nature, and they're really a great duo when it comes to parenting their adventurous, nature-loving young boys. Janice is the Director of Family Initiatives for the Children and Nature Network and she's also the co-founder of a wonderful family nature club called Family Adventures in Nature which is based in San Diego in the US and serves over 1,000 families encouraging them to get outdoors and have fun connecting with nature and with each other. In that interview, Janice will share with us all about Family Nature Clubs and the great resources available through the Children and Nature Network and other fantastic clubs that have sprung up all around the world. In her Family Nature Club, as I said before, Janice has seen over 1,000 families get back outside and reconnect with the natural world and with each other. Janice will talk about her family's nature connection and how they use time in nature to connect with each other. They use it also as a means of restoration and to learn to love and care for the natural world. Take Janice's challenge to get together either formally or informally with another family or families for a nature outing together. So tune in next week as I talk to Janice Swaysgood and remember to check out www.naturepedagogy.com for all the great work that Claire and other people from all around the world are doing in the International Association of Nature Pedagogy. It's a fantastic organisation. There's lots of support, lots of great people giving great ideas. So please check that out. Again, naturepedagogy.com for the International Association of Nature Pedagogy. 
And don't forget you can sign up for our weekly newsletter to get great tips on how to get outdoors more often with your family and some fun ideas on what to do when you're out there. Just go to www.nurtureinnatureradio.com forward slash play. Nurture in Nature Radio hits the airwaves every Tuesday morning, Melbourne, Australia time. And you can also listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher as well. So thanks for listening. Now it's time for you to get off whatever device you're listening to and get outdoors for lots of fun, learning and memory making with your family. I'm your host, Tanya Maloney, and I look forward to seeing you and your family outside. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening to Nurture in Nature Radio. Now let's go play outside. I'll race you to the door. See you again next week. Little trees need a chance to grow. It takes time and care. They're a lot like us, you know.